name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please sit down. Today, in place of a sermon, we'll get something a little better. Because yesterday, the reader was chanting the Synexarium from the Orologion. And as often happens with the synaxarion, the synaxarion coming from the word synaxis meaning assembly, the synaxarion meaning that which is done at an assembly, read at an assembly, and it has come to refer to the lives of the saints even, the synaxarion for Pentecost was so clear, so crisp, so uh, filled with information in a well-organized way, that really I do not think that it would be possible to improve on it. I know that I could not come anywhere near equaling it. So I have, rather than give the whole synexion, which was a rather full piece, uh, extracted those things which I think were particularly important and which struck me um, struck me very hard. The reasons for today's feast do not include it being the birthday of the Church, which is kind of the parish leaflet, the parish pamphlet idea of the Feast of Pentecost. So if Pentecost is not the birthday of the Church, what is it? First, it celebrates the coming of the All-Holy Spirit into the world. Second, the completion of the Lord Jesus Christ promised. And third, the fulfillment of the hope of the sacred disciples. That is the content that we are celebrating. So it's a complex of things, not just one thing. This is the final feast in that sequence of the great mystery and dispensation of God's Incarnation. Starting with the Feast of the Incarnation at Christmas, therefore, we complete an entire unified segment of the church year today. Everything gets fulfilled. I always like to use a, <laughs> a musical term as if I knew anything about music. I can't read a note. But uh, you know there's that eyebrow-shaped note, notation in Western musical notation over a um, a series of notes. This, for some reason, is called a slur. And obviously it has nothing to do with that other meaning of the term. A slur means that this bunch of notes, all of them that are under the eyebrow, must be played as one unified unit, each note having some bearing on the notes around it. It is a set. It is a club of notes. So this very long 
eyebrow, this very long slur, is tacked down at the beginning and at uh, Christmas and at the final fulfilling and at the Feast of Pentecost. On this last, this great, at this saving day of Pentecost, the apostles of the Savior, who were unlearned fishermen, were made wise, all of a sudden, by the Holy Spirit, clearly and with divine authority, and as a result they spoke of the heavenly doctrines. Now you remember, don't you, how often we can be a little taken aback going through the Gospels at the incomprehension of the Apostles. It isn't just Thomas who doubts at a certain point, lacking sensory experience of the risen Lord, but the Apostles time and again seem not to get it. Or having got it, they seem to forget it. Remember, in the biography of St. Peter, the mouthpiece of the apostolic choir, he is the one who gives witness to our Lord, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Christ, Christ grants utter credibility to that insight by telling him, Peter, son of Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Peter is speaking as a conduit of divine revelation. There are in icons all of those gestures which include a gesture like that. The gesture of receiving something from God, the gesture of teaching it to men. So on that occasion, Peter got it. But that did not mean that the day would not come, and rather soon, when Peter said three times, I know not the man. Now, with the gift of the Holy Spirit, the content of the apostolic experience, day after day after day, of living and walking the dusty pathways of Palestine with Christ, beholding what he was doing, see, hearing what he was saying. Now the Holy Spirit enables them to understand their own experience. Huge lessons for you and me. As we have experiences every day and do not always understand the meaning of what we have experienced. I emphasize three terms as I just read this little paragraph on this last 
this great, this saving day. Because if you read the lives of the saints, if you read theology, you will frequently hear references to that great day, that last day, that saving day. And you may not recall that what they're referring to is the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. As a result, the apostles become, having this experience of inspiration by the Holy Spirit, heralds of the truth and teachers of the whole world. The uniqueness of the station, the office, the rank of an apostle can not be exaggerated, cannot be overly estimated. They are all the things that we say about them and to them and in their honor liturgically. They are a unique instance of mankind. On this day of Pentecost, they, the apostles, were ordained and began their apostleship, of which the salvation of the 3,000 souls in one day was the first marvelous fruit. This is the feast of the ordination of the apostles in the Holy Spirit. Some erroneously hold that Pentecost is the birthday of the Church, but this is not true. And now I'm going to startle some of us, if you're like me, because when I was first hearing these things some years ago, and reminded of them yesterday, I was rather taken aback by some of the things that I'm about to tell you. This is not true, for the teaching of the Holy Fathers is that the Church existed before all things. You and I usually don't know that. We usually don't think of the Church as that. But here we go. Now, in the vision of the Shepherd of Hermas, what is the Shepherd of Hermas? One of the oldest documents in the period of the composition of the New Testament itself. A uh, Bible scholar of the West, J.A.T. Robinson, who is generally on the left and generally a skeptic, assures us that the Shepherd of Hermas was written at some point before A.D. 85. Christ dies around 33. It's written around 50 years after the resurrection. It is written by and for people, many of whom saw the living Lord before his crucifixion. In the vision of the shepherd of Hermas, we read, quote, Now, brethren, a revelation was made unto me in my sleep by a youth 
of exceeding fair form, who said unto me, Whom thinkest thou, the aged woman, from whom thou receivest the book, whom thinkest thou that she is? Because the shepherd has received a book from an elderly woman. I say, Oh, she must be the Sybil. Now who's Sybil? Sybil was understood in Greco-Roman culture to be a clairvoyant woman. An elderly woman who knew everything. She was a pagan clairvoyant whose name passed into the cultural language as just someone who knows everything about everything. An amazing woman. So the shepherd says, in response to the question, who do you think that old lady is? I say, the Sybil. Thou art wrong, said he. She is not the Sybil. Then who is she? I ask. He says, she is the church. I said unto him, then why is she old? Because, said he, she, that is the church, was created before all things. Therefore is she aged, and for her sake the world was framed. This is a book written at a time when people will be getting this book, hearing it read, reading it themselves in copies, who were there when they crucified my Lord. The Shepherd of Hermas is not something that is read widely <laughs> these days, although it exists in mighty fine English translations. I cannot recommend its reading highly enough. St. Gregory the Theologian, who is born in 329 and dies in 390, also speaks of, quote, the Church of Christ that is both before Christ and after Christ. He has, he's working with the same material, he's thinking about it, composing his thoughts out of familiar ideas that have been around for a long time. According to St. Gregory the Theologian, quote, the prophets established the church, the apostles conjoined it, the apostles went into it, and the evangelists set it in order. St. Gregory the Theologian said that. One of the greatest of the fathers of the church, one of the Cappadocian fathers. That's his idea. Established by prophets. Why? Because they said Christ would come. <laughs> Expect a Messiah. The apostles then joined that movement, and the evangelists set it in order. Now, why the evangelists setting it in order? What do evangelists do? They write scripture. This is an indirect reference 
to the force and function of scripture and the life of that community established through prophecy by the prophets joined by the apostles. The function of scripture is to keep it in order, to make order out of it. Why? Because it is composed of human beings who tend to fly apart like that proverbial herd of cats. The Church existed from the creation of the angels, for the angels came into existence before the creation of the world, and they have always been members of the Church. You see the very, to me, and possibly to some of you, odd ideas, different ideas than we usually have in our heads when we use the term church. The different ways of thinking about it and speaking about it in this very early period of the very early church. St. Clement the Bishop of Rome, who died in the year 1999, before the year 100, says in his second epistle to the Corinthians, Quote, the church was created before the sun and the moon. So these are not simply Middle Eastern ideas, Greek ideas in the Eastern Mediterranean, but they have found their way to Rome in the center of it all. And a little further on he says, the church exists not now for the first time, but she has been from the beginning. Now that which came to pass at Pentecost then was first the ordination of the apostles, second the commencement of the apostolic preaching to the nations, and third the inauguration of the priesthood of the new Israel, since it is the task of the apostles to make bishops and presbyters. St. Cyril of Alexandria says that, quote, Our Lord Jesus Christ, herein ordained the instructors and teachers of the world and the stewards of his divine mysteries, showing together with the dignity of the apostleship the incomparable glory of the authority given unto them, revealing them to be splendid with the great dignity of apostleship and showing them forth as both stewards and priests of the divine altars they became fit to initiate others through the enlightening guidance of the Holy Spirit. St. Cyril of Alexandria is one of the heaviest hitters of the heavy hitters of theology. And this is his notion of the church that he served throughout his life. St. Gregory Palamas says, quote, Now therefore the Holy Spirit descended, showing the disciples to be supernal luminaries, awesome luminaries, and the distributed grace of the Divine Spirit came through the ordination of the apostles upon their successors, apostolic succession. We've heard that phrase before. This is what it means. 
It is this to which it refers. The grace peculiar to apostles that they hand on to their successors and through them to the, the succession of hierarchs who oversee the church and serve the church as leaders and therefore whose central vocation is to wash other people's feet. And St. Sophronius of Jerusalem wrote, quote, After the visitation of the Comforter, all the apostles become high priests. Therefore, together with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which came upon them who were present in that upper chamber, which the Lord had foretold, as recorded in the book of Acts, ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence, the apostles were also appointed and raised to that priestly function, according to St. John Chrysostom. No mean interpreter of Scripture, he. On this day commenced the celebration of the Holy Eucharist, by which we become partakers of the divine nature, as Peter says in his letter. For before Pentecost, notice that it is said of the apostles and disciples that they abode in prayer and supplication. After the Feast of Pentecost, it is said that they also persevere in the breaking of the bread. The reference is clearly to the Eucharist. The Feast of Holy Pentecost, therefore, determined the beginning of the priesthood of grace, not the beginning of the Church. Henceforth the Apostles proclaimed the glad tidings in country and town, preaching and baptizing and appointing shepherds wherever they went, imparting the priesthood to them whom they judged were worthy to minister, as St. Clement writes in his first epistle to the Corinthians. That, then, is what we are here to do today, to remember that. And now we're going to remember it a little more clearly, because we have some facts about the Church that maybe were not prominent in our thinking before this. My great thanks to those who translated the Horologium and put this wonderful Synexarium before us and in the service of the composition of the Christian mind in our time. Amen and Amen.